0: Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans. On today's episode, backed by our crowd funders, Judy Tharp and Liz Curran.
1: Rafa rules in
0: Barcelona. Ash Barty takes the crown in Stuttgart.
1: And Benoit Paire gets kicked out of the Olympics.
0: Kim, what a week we have had on the ATP and WTA tours. It's been absolutely no let up. We've had the clay court events in Europe. (laughs) They have not failed to deliver, have they? There have been some absolutely fantastic matches over over the last week or so in Barcelona, in the Serbia Open. It's been absolutely great. And I think genuinely, we've not really had any match of the year candidates, I feel, so to speak, so far maybe in the clay season but I do now feel like just like classic London blusses we've had two come along at once.
1: <laughs> yeah especially uh, on the men's side two kind of epic matches uh, this weekend and I have to say the outcome of one of them in particular pleased me very much. Uh, seeing Rafa jump into that swimming pool for <laughs> the 12th time in Barcelona um was just yeah the The icing on the cake, uh, the cherry on top of the cake of my weekend. Um, and it was, yeah, it was fantastic to see. Definitely a much more positive weekend for, uh, Rafa fans after the. The shambles of Monte Carlo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's I feel like everything is now right in the world, uh now that Nadal has won a clay tournament. I mean, Barcelona really is one of the you know the ones that you do look at and is sort of a banker for him. What was your kind of feeling? Were you sort of relieved that everything was like back to normal? Were you just sort of like business as normal? What was the kind of the overriding feeling? Because he was put through a really, really stern test by Stefanos Sissipas in the final.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was pleased that he'd even got to that point when he was <laughs> stuck at a settle with uh, Ilya Ivashka in, in the
0: second round. I know, I know. that was <laughs> That was very surprising. I yeah. was like, oh, have the wheels come off? Because, yeah, it did not look very good, did it? Like a set in to his Barcelona campaign.
1: No, that would have been horrendous if he'd lost that one. And then, you know, he was set up against Nishikori and lost the second. And I thought, oh, here we go again. But then after that, uh, thanks to Cam Norrie, PCB, <laughs> you know, smooth victories, and then into the final with Tsitsipas. And I mean, that was such a, you know, dramatic match. They both had match points. Um, you know, six four, six, seven, seven five in the end, Rafa clinched it. Three hours, 38 minutes long. It's the longest ATP tour match of the year so far. Um, and Rafa just edging it right at the end. Uh, you know, Sitspas had had break points to, to break Rafa, uh, at 5-4, but he, uh, wasn't able to do so. And then Rafa broke his serve and then obviously managed to serve it out. So yeah, really epic, epic match. And, uh, I think Rafa will be, very mm. pleased and relieved to obviously come through that because I think up to up to this date it's only been a very select few players have actually beaten Rafa in a final on clay um, and that's obviously Federer, Djokovic, Andy Murray um, and Horacio Zabios, which I think we'll just ignore that one because that was <laughs> obviously like a blip.
0: <laughs> actually I remember, I remember that one I think that was one he was on the on the comeback trail and yeah, yeah. but Olden anyway swing, yeah I think yeah I mean this this Sissipas, I feel like, yeah, he has he's just full of confidence after that Monte Carlo victory. And I think this is the final that everyone wanted to see because, you know, there's been a lot of kind of chat recently about Sissipass and is he, you know, is he the, you know, is the, the heir to the the Rafael Nadal throne on the clay court? And I think with that sort of hype and that build up, um, you know, we were all sort of curious and hoping for this final just to really see. How close they are, um, when it comes to, you know, facing off with each other. And, um, I think that's what made this match so compelling. And it was just such a, you know, it really did come down to a few points kind of here and there. I think. I think arguably both players, you know, obviously could have won it and Nadal will be, I think, very, very thankful he came through. But it was very, very impressive and it was a very, very stern test. And hopefully, I mean, this could potentially be, a, you know, this could be a French Open final maybe in, in a month's time because the quality of tennis on the show was just absolutely fantastic.
1: Yeah, Sitsipas almost taking on the mantle from Dominic Team, who yeah. isn't really isn't really up there at the moment. Uh, you know, is past the next one to watch on the clay, you know, after his performance in Monte Carlo and now here. Uh he's sort of possibly people are saying, you know, the heir to uh to to Rafa's clay kind of throne. But I mean we'll see. It's still early days, still got Madrid and Rome. Obviously Roland Garros playing at Slam, very different state of affairs you know i was thinking while i was watching this you know this is a 500 event if this was a you know grand slam final would it be so close who knows um i know sits obviously beat rafa in the quarters in australia but um well, the less said about that, much the better. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just yeah really pleased uh, that Rafa's kind of like you said, s- you know, the world just seems a, a calmer place. I think mm. when when Rafa's winning those clay titles, but such impressive stuff from Sits Pass, I have to say. Are you at all worried as a
0: Rafa fan? I mean, how given how kind of close it was, but also I think, you know, the, those three set victories kind of early on in the, in the tournament, because there were blips there and you don't normally see those blips in a, you know, a Rafa Nadal sort of run to a final. You know, I, I was sort of expecting it, I think more against, you know, Cam Norrie and Correño Buster and basically any Spaniard. I feel like it's just a routine victory, but. Those sort of blips against Ivashko and and Nishikuri in that that second set, is is there still, even though, you know, he's won the title, do you feel like there's still a sense of sort of worry there in terms of his, you know, this sort of cloak of, of invincibility? Do you feel like this season maybe it's a little bit kind of less invincible than it was? Because I certainly feel with, if you look back at those two matches, there were definitely, I think, hangovers from, you know from Monte Carlo, where you know he didn't do that well, you know particularly I think you know from the you know his ground strokes, I don't think his i, I think by the end of the tournament yeah you know, his backhand particularly mm. i think was looking in a lot better shape, but it just felt like you know in those those first few matches it, it still felt like he was sort of a uh, he was quite far away actually from you know the the raffle that we you know normally come to expect,
1: yeah, I think it's um almost <laughs> If you take the positives out of it, though, it's good to have had those battles and got, you know, you, when you're not playing so well, it's better to get that out of the way at the start of the clay season, you know, and you want to peak obviously at the right time. So, but yeah, his backhand improved a lot during the course of, of the week. Um In Monte Carlo, he, he was hitting way too short and um we saw, you know, Rublev really managed to kind of punish that uh in monte carlo in the quarterfinals but um yeah rafa has kind of sorted that out a bit especially in the final against its pass. um a lot less errors as well i think in the third set rafa was very very clean uh which is what he needed because mm. you just can't afford to give points away you know willy-nilly so <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah really really good um i mean just a note joel on um, what else happened i suppose in barcelona this week uh we obviously had cam nori get into the quarters very good dan evans not such a good week for him he lost in the first round uh to corenton mute which to be fair i wasn't really surprised about. i think dan's had a great couple of weeks and he was probably a bit burnt out as well oh,
0: yeah a lot of tenants
1: um, definitely uh but fabio fornini uh one of our well one of your favourites Joel I don't know he, he can provide a bit of excitement from time to time and and he has done that this week he got defaulted from uh from his match uh for verbally abusing a line judge I believe
0: I've still not really found a clip of it I've, I've heard him kind of talk about it in his interview afterwards um it sounds like he feels like he you know classic Nini no, no, not really an apology. Uh, feels like he's been hard done by and just kind of wants to, to move on. You know, he, he's obviously got this image that he's the, you know, the, the bad boy of, of tennis. I think he kind of said, which I was kind of disputing actually, because is he the bad boy of tennis or is it Nick Kyrgios or has he, I think he's actually taken the mantle, hasn't he? Whilst Nick Kyrgios has, has become more chilled and is sort of still, you know, in Australia and, and not really on the tour. I feel like, Bonini now is kind of almost usurped him, but um, yeah, it was a bit. Um, it was a bit of. It wasn't a shock, but then I think it was because you know from the from the reports I hear, I feel like it was he was genuinely maybe a little bit hard done by, but I feel like his his image uh, and his notoriety up to that point in his career didn't help him, and he was called I think for an audible obscenity, and it didn't help. I think that there was a a, a, a ball girl in the close kind of proximity to him and I think that's what led to this happening but it it felt like we've seen to be honest it felt like we've seen worse things on a tennis court go unpunished than than what played out
1: yeah I mean the um the umpire you know told him that he was going to be defaulted and uh, Fornini just sort of stormed off throwing his racket you know I mean I don't know what else you'd expect really but it, interestingly you know his opponent uh, Zabata Moraes was not uh, wanting to comment on it after in the uh, interview so I don't know why he I mean, maybe he didn't really hear or see particularly what happened. So, but yeah, Fonini is the first player to be defaulted since that Djokovic incident last year. So kind of two of these have happened in, I guess, the space of a, of less than a year, which is uh, quite interesting. But I don't know, um, what kind of fines Fonini is, is going to be getting or has been given by the ATP. I'm sure he's going to be in a bit of hot water. Uh, but I remember at the AO, didn't he? He had a go at Caruso, didn't he, after the match? Yes. Uh, there was yes, a bit of agro. Yeah. So it's not. He's obviously in that, in that mood at the moment, Fognini, but, so uh, watch this space.
0: I mean, to be honest, if Fognini is, if, if Fognini is not in hot water, then I'm sort of a bit on edge because I feel like he, that's where he belongs. And this is just a continuation of that.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, and talking about Djokovic, actually, let's go and talk about the Serbia Open, which obviously took place at the Novak Tennis Center last week. Um, I was fully expecting Novak to kind of walk away with this title, but that was not to be because in the semi-final, he lost to Aslan Karatsev, which is, I guess, the other match that, you know, is a right epic uh, over the weekend and was absolutely fantastic and was the longest ATP tour match of the year until the day after when uh, Sitspas and Rafa, you know, took mm. that mantle. But yeah, Karatsev won seven five four six six four. 5 I think he saved something ridiculous, like 23 break points, um, which is.
0: 23 of 28 break points. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. It was really, really impressive. This wasn't, you know, this wasn't like Novak Djokovic on an off day, you know, watching the highlights, you know, watching it live, you could see that both players were really bringing, you know, their A game. And I think that's what made it so impressive from Karatsev, because, you know, I think in a lot of fans' views, you know, he's probably. uh, he's a you know a one slab wonder a one surface wonder you know in the you know the Australian Open and on the hard courts but you know he's really bringing it as well to the the clay courts and this was a really 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 impressive victory and you know he's got such he's got such belief and you know regardless of you know what situation he's in he's able to find a way out of it and i think that that's that sat kim as you said the fact that he was able to save 23 of 28 break points break points faced it just shows you how much you know belief he has in his game and um yeah it was just very very impressive and I think you know Djokovic at the end of the match he was just like he, he didn't have any issues it wasn't you know it wasn't like in Monte Carlo where you know you against sort of Dan Evans he was kind of saying oh I had a bad match you know and nothing was nothing went right on the day you know in this match he was just like fair play Karatsev he was the better opponent
1: yeah exactly and karatsev almost felt like you know the title should be his, but he must have been pretty knackered uh I think going into the uh the final against Berrettini because he lost uh on a last set tie break so Berrettini, uh second seed he he won the title six one three six seven six uh yesterday uh which is which is nice I guess because Berrettini has been a while since he's actually I think being at that stage of of a tournament, so first final in in about two years, um, and I think just just broke Karatsev down. I think, and I'm sure Karatsev, yeah, he did look a bit a bit tired after that. Epic match the day before.
0: Yeah, I mean, that final set tiebreak, it was a bagel, bagel yeah. tiebreak. Yeah,
1: very one way traffic.
0: Corrects have just kind of ran out of steam, but yeah, really good from Berrettini because he is a player we've not heard much of since, you know, the Australian Open. I think he, you know, he was, he had to pull out, um, you know, in, you know, I think what did he get to the fourth round or the quarterfinals, but he had to drop out of his match because of uh, an abdominal injury, uh, and then has been sort of off court. Since then, I think this is only his second tournament back since the Australian Open. Didn't really do anything last week in Monte Carlo. And I think in our preview last week, I was sort of looking at Berettini thinking, you know, he's probably, even though he's a number two seed, I was sort of expecting him to fall to someone given, you know, the lack of, the lack of match practice he's had. But, you know, he, he came through his uh, section of the draw really, really well, really impressively, actually. And to go on and win the tournament was, you know, for me it was quite surprising. But I guess you know Berrettini is one of those players who I do think he is, <laughs> and I'll probably, you know, I'll probably ha- hold my hand up and say he's probably one of the most criminally underrated players on the tour. And I think we might obviously know him, you know, for his exploits on a on a grass court. But he certainly has such a good all round game that he can threaten anyone. Kind of on on you know on any surface, and um you know if he, he kind of can keep up this form, I still think he'll be quite a a difficult challenge to face, i think you know going forward in in kind of Rome and, and madrid um on on the clay
1: yeah, I think he's got. I think he's got titles on on all surfaces, hasn't Hmm. he? And he's definitely won a grass title and he's got four in total. So I'm sure one of them must be hardcore as well, but um, yeah, great win for him. Great, great week for him, I suppose. Um, And yeah, uh, Serbia open apart from that. I mean, they, they were the two kind of standout uh, matches I would say. Um, Let's go to WTA now, Joel, because we obviously had the Stuttgart event happening out in Germany, WTA 500, headlined by the world number one, Ash Barty, who, lo and behold, went on and won the tournament, uh, as you do, as, as a world number one. It's her third title of the season. She's absolutely kind of raking them in. Uh, but she beats Abalenka in three sets in the final, three six six love 6-3. Six, um, and she has got the most ridiculously impressive record has Ash Barty against fellow top teners because I don't think she's lost a match against another top 10 player. Um, well, she's on a 10-match winning streak against other top 10 players, which actually, if you look at even the likes of, um, I don't know, someone like uh, Sharapova back in the day or, you know, Kvitova, Sarga, Muguruza, all of those top players, they... Um, have not been able to to have that sort of record. I suppose it's only Serena um that, you know, would be right up there. So Ash Barty is putting together some very impressive um tournaments and, and stats as she kind of goes through twenty twenty-one.
0: I think what was so impressive actually about Stuttgart was I, I know we talk about Ash Barty. I feel like always we associate her as kind of a battler on court and really sort of able to kind of come through any sort of adverse kind of situations. And she really needed to do that, I think, in order just to to reach the final. I mean, she had three victories over uh, top 10 opponents, Prishkova, Svitolina, uh and Sabalenka. Um, but... The, the manner of those victories—they were not easy victories. Um, you know, I think Plushkova served, you know, served for the match. Svitolina also was very, very close to uh, beating Ash Barty. And I think actually Svitolina has a better head-to-head record. But I think what the you know, the thing that we learned this week, and and again another sort of sort of characteristic, I think we always associate with Ash Barty is that she's such a great, I think, reader of the game, and I think that kind of showed in the final because. You know, she lost the first set 6-3 and then she won the second set 6-love and then the third set 6-3. I mean, I feel like she really, even if she's not, even if she's like losing or or not sure kind of what's going on in that, in that first set, she knows what to do in order to kind of put it right. And I think almost in that final, she used that first set to just understand Sabalenka's game. And then off the back of that, understand, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to change in my game? What's not working at the moment? And then do that in the second set. And once that second set scoreline was in place, I mean, it just felt like it was just going to be a bit of a formality, which it was. But I just think it's been very impressive uh, this week from Barty in terms of how she's been able to read her opponents and adapt during the match, which I think is is a trait that I don't think a lot of, players have and i think it's the you know the best players the grand slam you know the grand slam champions are the ones who are able to kind of adapt whilst the match is going on um mm. which which makes them uh, which makes them stand out
1: Definitely, it's not just about you know hitting big. It's it's hitting clever mm. and and reading reading the game and the court. And yeah, she's definitely proving that, especially you know her ridiculous record against fellow top teners. I mean, actually, her her win percentage. I think since well this time, basically two years ago, she's got an eighty three percent win record. She's won five of her last eleven events. So, I mean, yeah, she's she's up there. She's having the you know the glory days of her career. Long may it continue. Um, Yeah, really, really pleased, you know, to have her at the top of the of the game, I think.
0: <laughs> it's such a great, I think, place to be on the WTA when Ash Barty is playing kind of week in, week out. Because, you know, the, the, I think the conversation, you know, around Ash Barty when she wasn't, you know, playing was, you know, why is she still world number one? And it seems a bit ridiculous, but... She really has come back with a bang and, you know, really, I think, shown why, you know, why she is there. And I know the Australian Open probably didn't go, obviously, according to plan for her. But really, in the tournament since, she has, you know, shown, you know, how what, you know, such a good competitor she is and why she, you know, why she rightly is, you know, the world, world number one. And, um, you know, she came up against Sabalenka in the final. I mean, Sabalenka beat Simona Halep in, in the semis, quite convincingly, six three, six two. That that match sort that result sort of took me by surprise because I I was actually all sort of geared up for a Barty Hallett final, which I thought would have been, you know, really, really good, but um wasn't to be. And yes, I I you know, again, some of the highlights in that semi-final, Sabalenka, I feel like a player we normally associate with being really, really good on a hard court really destructive on a hard court not not necessarily as much on a clay court but she's been but yeah i mean this tournament in a loaded field she was really really able to to put it together
1: yeah i think halep obviously early days really i suppose coming back uh on you know this is kind of the start mm. of her clay season but yeah i think she, i i mean i don't know where where halep will fit into the kind of roland garros equation like the conversation leading up to it um obviously going into Roland Garros last year, she was very much, you know, the hot favorite. But obviously, we there's so many other, you know, other players that we've we've now kind of talking about. But um, I also thought Joel, another <laughs> one player who's probably a fractionally relieved this week is Carolina Pushkova because this was probably her best week uh, of the year so far. You know, getting to the quarterfinals narrowly, losing to Barty, but actually getting some wins under her belt for once.
0: Yeah, I think it would be a bit bittersweet, I think, for her because yeah, she, you know, we, we know that she's not had the best kind of start of the season. And I was actually expecting that, that match to just be a very regulation win for Barty, but it was very, very close. I mean, seven five in the third. Piszkiewicz served for it, I think, in that third set. I think she'll be disappointed, and maybe if she had had the confidence of a few more match wins under her belt, uh, you know, earlier in the season, it might have gone a different way. But um, yeah, perhaps she's on the you know the path to you know where she, you know, the path to you know playing the tennis that you know we've seen her play, you know, in previous seasons that we've not really seen just yet. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. Just another quick thing actually, Kim, on on Stuttgart is, you know, I've had a lot of my kind of tennis friends talk to me about the clay in Stuttgart and it not really being like, you know, the the Parisian clay at Roland Garros. So I wonder if, although, you know, we've got to take sort of these results, I think maybe with a pinch of salt in the sense of it might not be totally kind of reflective of, you know, how it potentially goes at, at the French Open. You know, I do wonder because, uh, you know, a few of my friends talking about the fact that this court, even though it's a clay court, because it's indoor, it sort of plays more like a hard court. And with, with Slav Malenka getting to the final, I was a bit like wondering whether... <laughs> is that why? <laughs> yeah, and I was a bit like, is that, why, is that why she played it? And
1: Yeah, that's a valid point.
0: It just seems a bit of a, a different sort of clay court, not necessarily in colour, but maybe in, in different aspects.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, Roland Garros does have a roof now. So, you know, some yeah. of the matches may be endorsed, but I know that wouldn't necessarily make it the same. I, I guess it's good to, you know, be able to. Well, I mean, in terms of Barty, like, if you look at where she's won titles now, she's won. You know, indoor clay, outdoor clay, grass, <laughs> indoor hardcore, outdoor hardcore. So she can win on all surfaces, uh, you know, however they may differ. But yes. Singles and
0: doubles as well.
1: Oh, yes. I know. Because, yeah, we didn't even mention she won the doubles this week with Jennifer Brady. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely fantastic week for Ash Barty. Uh, yeah, they beat Korshik and Masak in the final um, on a match tie break. So, yeah, that's obviously a really nice partnership, isn't it? You know, Barty and Brady, obviously two very top singles players as well, teaming up. So yeah, fantastic week for Barty in uh, Stuttgart. But we also had the WTA 250 event in Istanbul, um, which was won by Sarana Castella. Uh, she beat Elise Mertens in straight sets in the final. But I think what is most, uh, I don't know, exciting for Casteyer or, you know, I guess relieving perhaps is that this is her second career title and it's come 13 years after her first one, which was way back in 2008. And when I saw this uh, on the WTA website, I misread it as three years and I thought, okay, <laughs> how, how nice, you know, three-year hiatus. And then I was like, hold on a minute, 13 years. So yeah, it just goes to show that, you know, um she may not have maybe had the career that many of us thought she would have done you know when she first won that title when she was you know 18 but like lo and behold she has got over the finish line once again on the wta tour
0: i know and she didn't she didn't drop a set she was really really impressive and we know that Elise mertens is a very you know one of the most consistent uh players on the tour and to yeah to beat her in in straight sets in in the final uh you know very very impressive Castella is, I think, an interesting one because, as you said, it's it's taken so long to go from one title to her second title, 13 years. So I think that just shows very impressive, I think, determination and, and perseverance, I think, just to... You know, kind of stick around and wait for your moment, wait for your chance, and and go for it. I think in the um in the match presentation, in the trophy presentation afterwards, I think she was almost a little bit surprised that it that it happened. And um, but you know, I think she will obviously be very you know very happy that it did. And yeah, to beat someone like Elise Mertens, she really is. I think coming back into some really really good form in her you know in her career, and you know maybe in her kind of twilight years, maybe she can. Maybe she hopefully won't have to wait so long for her her third title because there do that does feel like there there are these opportunities at the moment for these players to come in and do something that that maybe could has never been done in you know in, in such a long time.
1: Yeah, and players are obviously playing you know way later uh, in in terms of age, mm. so she's got more time you know, stay, uh, providing she stays healthy. But obviously, she is one of those players that is always I think a bit of a bogey woman for top. Top seeds at slams. You know, she beat C Joe Conta last year at the US Open, I think it was. She beat Kvitova at the AO this year. So she's obviously been having some, you know, top wins um kind of in the build up to to this and it's all come together um at, at this event. Uh, and yeah, like you said, winning it all in straight sets. So very impressive. I think, Joel, um you digged out a random stat about <laughs> the previous uh gap, longest gap yes.
0: between titles. Yes, Maranya Lukic, or Lukic Baroni, I think is her surname now. Uh, if you're wondering if there's anyone who's spent longer waiting uh, between titles, Maranya Lukic won uh in 1998 um and then won again. Her next title was in Quebec City in 2014, which is a 16-year gap. So... Um Kastella could be, you know, she must she's hopefully thankful that, you know, she's now had to wait even longer. It's just amazing really, because it's like you can win a title at the start of your career and you can win a title, you know, right at the end of your career. It doesn't there's not psych like, you don't have to be maybe in like your the the middle bit in like the peak of mm. your Tennis mm. years, it's, I think that's what makes it probably so interesting and so fascinating is that you could, you could be in the draw and hey, you could, you could win it, uh, at any, at any time in your, in your tennis career. Um, Kim, I'm actually just looking because you in our script have posted the draw, um, of castella's first title in Tashkent in 2008. I mean, I'm just looking at that draw. I don't think a lot of those players are playing anymore. Uh, But it was great. Uh, Sabine Lezicki in the final. Mm. uh, Very impressive.
1: Yeah, someone posted that on Twitter. Um, I can't remember who it was, but thank you, whoever it was, because I thought this was really eye-opening um there's a player that michelle Larcher de brito i mentioned her to you uh a few weeks ago and you were like who on earth is she <laughs> but i was like she was a really young up-and-coming portuguese player used to scream her lungs off on court like really loud high-pitched screaming um but she's in the draw katie o'brien uh british oh, player wow. yeah. she was in the draw um and uh, yeah some whole a whole host of others that i i I, there's one. I, I side from Uzbekistan. Yeah, I don't remember her.
0: <laughs> yeah, of I think obviously, rancher Ross is in there. Mm. Um, Shvedova yeah, a few players about, but yes, it's just, I mean, it's just mind-blowing, isn't it? A blast from the past.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, Right, let's take a quick break now. But uh yeah, we'll be back in the second half. We'll be looking at Gerard Piquet's Davis Cup comments, uh, all the previews for next week uh, for Munich and Estoril, and also Benoit Paire, who's been barred from the Olympics. So uh, join us in a moment. This is the passing shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on to the second half where we're going to begin with our little quiz segment, as usual. Uh, Mysterious player is uh, back this week. And I've got one for you, Joel, if you're ready to <laughs> oh, take part. I'm pass. excited. I'm excited. Excellent. Okay. Um, okay. Right. Here we go. That's pretty- okay. Okay. I was born on the 19th of May, 1996.
0: Okay, so quite young. Uh, does that mean they're going to be a WTA player, uh, or they're going to be ATP? Um, I'm going to go Davidic Fakina.
1: No, I think he's slightly younger than that. But um, oh, okay, but it's not Davidic Fakina. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won the Eddie Hare International and Junior Orange Bowl Boys Under Twelve title in December two thousand and eight and was subsequently signed, along with my brother, to the Nick Bolletieri Tennis Academy in Florida.
0: Brother. Hmm. Um, br- Tennis Brothers. are. Uh, I mean, I'm instantly thinking, no, I'm not. The Brian Brothers, which is obviously wrong. Um, oh, 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 I think I might have it. Is it Ryan Harrison? <laughs>
1: No, it's not. It's not. Oh, okay. um, I'll give you a clue. Like the br- Don't dwell too much on the brother thing. Okay. Because I haven't actually heard of this person's brother. So uh, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Um, I have a career high ranking of 19.
0: I'm going to say... Oh, I keep thinking about Americans. Um, I am going to say... Tennis Sangren. <laughs> mm. Nope, <laughs>
1: it's not. Uh, okay. Uh, I was runner up in the 2013 Wimbledon boys singles final. Uh, a month after I won my first futures title, that probably okay. won't particularly help, mm. maybe, but <laughs> that's
0: quite Wimbledon. hard. Quite okay, hard I so grass, okay, gra- grass court player. Um, Yannick Sinner. <laughs>
1: No, no, it's not Yannick Sinner. He's slightly younger, isn't he? (laughs) Okay, um, my current ranking is 182 in the world, uh, largely because I have struggled a lot with injury over the past few years. Fernando Verdasco.
0: oh no 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 that's (laughs) definitely not fernando vadasco he was born in
1: 1996 (laughs) (laughs) i swear fernando vadasco is always like an answer a wrong answer
0: on mysterious player if you said you said to me injuries he was the first one that sprung to mind um (laughs) obviously wrong
1: we're obsessed with vadasco right okay i made my breakthrough um Reaching the fourth round of a Grand Slam tournament in 2018, and I was the first player, male or female, from my country to get to this point. Oh, sorry, I need to clarify. Actually, made the semi-finals of a Grand Slam in 2018. Semi-finals. To
0: clarify, sorry. Um, Pablo Carreno Busta.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, sorry, I don't know why I'm laughing. (laughs) Um. (laughs) <laughs> is he the first Spaniard to get to the semi-finals of a Grand Slam?
0: <laughs> oh no, yeah, you're right. Oh god, I'm cra- <laughs> I'm cracking under pressure, Kim. Uh, this right, is not this, going this well. This next
1: one will be will be fine. Okay. I won the Next Gen Finals in 2017.
0: Next Gen Finals 2017. Um, let me think about that. That must be. Oh, okay i think i he does he yes i know who i think i know who he is now semi i'm getting i'm getting very, very surprising i think i think he does he wear does he maybe wear sunglasses yes he does or i think they're it's, prescription glasses <laughs> <laughs> um hit i think it is is it yung chong Yun chung, chung i'm just gonna say chung
1: yeah. Yongchung. Chung. I That's think I'm saying that right. Yes. It is. <laughs> it is Hyong Chung, a South Korean player. Obviously, he beat uh, Novak Djokovic in the fourth round at the Australian Open. 2018, we were there, uh, not at that match, but we were, we were there for that event. And, um, yeah, well, he went all the way through to the semi-finals. I guess he lost to Federer because Carl Edmund would have been in the other semi and losing to Chilich. So.
0: Did he retire in that Federal match? He had a really bad blister because I yeah. remember he posted, he posted it on social media afterwards and it was the most grim thing I've, I think I've ever seen um, in terms of like tennis injuries uh, yeah, from the court. But, um, yeah, it's a
1: right shame. But yes, it was him. And he also beat Zverev uh, in that uh, run to the semis as well. Uh but yeah, he's he's right down in the rankings at the moment, which is a real shame because he's obviously very talented and was a big prospect, but he's just really struggled um, with injury. So I don't know why I chose to do him. He just sort of sprang to mind. So No, I like um, it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, there we go. Listeners, I hope you managed to do slightly better <laughs> than Joel. I do agree that my questions were probably a bit uh, vague and, and quite difficult, but there we go. Um, let's move on to the mailbag, Joel, because we've got a question from one of our listeners uh, on Twitter, Robbie Lung. Uh, so thanks for getting in touch, Robbie. Um, Robbie's question is, what does Sitsapas need to improve to win a Grand Slam?
0: It's the million dollar question, isn't it, at the moment? Um, because, yeah, he's, he's obviously playing really, really well and it does feel like he's got a game that is now ready, potentially, to to win a grand slam which grand slam that is i'm not quite sure because you know i feel like you know obviously with the french open coming up you know he's got previous there got to the semi finals before um i think he lost to Djokovic in five sets when he he, he did that last time but um yeah i in, in if there's one thing i think he needs to be able to do is i think we talk about his game being kind of very varied and um you know it's it's not as sort of uh, you know like it 's not like it's not really kind of one dimensional or it 's not really reliant on one specific thing. I think he does a lot of things well, and I think what he's going to need to be able to do and improve is is bringing all those things that he can do very well, bring them all together when playing in grand slams be able to bring all these different combustible things together and have them all fire have them all firing on all cylinders at the same time because I still feel like. Sometimes, you know, his 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 backhand might be amazing, but his forehand might let him down or, you know, it might be his serve or his 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 net game. Um, So I think that I think I think the way that kind of Sissipas is, is maturing and particularly with that sort of, you know, I think belief he has on the court. I don't think kind of confidence kind of is an issue. I just think in terms of his game, I wonder whether, you know, when it comes to the really kind of big points in, you know the the latter stages of of slams where he is going to come down to one or two points i just think he's going to need to have a game that is firing on all cylinders and there's going to be no chink in the armor and i think confidence will help him him give him that but i don't think we've seen that so far um at a, at a grand slam in those really big moments um you know he's lost i think quite a few tight five setters
1: I think that's a very thorough answer, Joel. Um, I would just add, yeah, I think it's the intensity um, consistently at slams because, for example, Australian Open obviously came back against Rafa. You know, dr- dramatic comeback, one one in five sets. But then in the semi-final, he just was very lacklustre against Medvedev um, and didn't have that same intensity. And I think he just really, I think he has a propensity to really... Not ter- well, not not turning up's a harsh statement, but you know, like in that. Can be quite um, passive. It can be passive quite passive for like two sets, and it's then it's a bit mm. too late. You can't always come back, you know. And he managed to get Novak pegged back to five sets last year at the French, but it was almost kind of like you needed to be that intense from the start. Um, but yes, I think you know he's obviously got a very varied game, and I think it's probably only a matter of time because he's definitely going in the right direction. Quite. quickly quickly as well i think
0: yeah i do think it is now marginal gains but those are the those small fractions are going to be the difference of Mm. of him you know that step he needs to make to become a grand slam champion because i don't think there's a glaringly obvious kind of error now in his game it's just i think for me it's just bringing all those things together
1: Absolutely. Uh, listeners, let us know what you think. Uh, perhaps you've got, uh, you know, other opinions on on the Sits Pass uh, question. But uh, yeah, do let us know if you've got any other questions for our mailbag. Uh, we do enjoy answering them from week to week. So back to the tennis, Joel. Um, one of the items of news that we've got uh, this week is the fact that Benoit Paire has been excluded from the Olympic Games in Tokyo. So he's been excluded from the selection by, uh, for the, for the squad uh, by the French Tennis Federation and that is because of quote repetition of deeply inappropriate behavior and i think what they're alluding to is all his kind of incidents of unsportsmanlike conduct um for example there was that match in Buenos Aires earlier in the year um and other incidents which i think the FFT have just kind of said you know enough is enough um there's been too many incidences and it's not it's not good for you know uh, French tennis. It's not good for, uh, you know, it's not in 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 keeping with the values of the Olympics and you know the ethics of
0: the game. It was really interesting actually because I didn't, I've not really heard of of this before. You, as as a fan, I just assumed, you know, if you're like the number one player for your country or your ranking is high enough, then you know you've got the the privilege to go and represent your country, uh, you know, in the, in the Olympics. But you know, this situation I think shows that think there's more of a you know an active role i guess by the you know the governing body of of your country you know to be like you know to look at you know look at all these players and be like are we comfortable with them representing representing us yes or no if no then you know they'll they'll send a message to them to say you know we don't you know we don't want you to you know, represent us in the Olympic Games, and and that's what's happened to to Benoit Paire. I feel, sort of feel sorry for him, um, in the sense that you know I think he's he is having sort of a a tough time um of it uh, of late. Um, and I feel like we're, he's like the the he's he's like the number one person to basically pick on in tennis at the moment. But you know he as you said he has had some sort of issues, kind of go on the incidents that you know you you do agree that they just go completely against kind of what the you know the Olympic Games stands for I think the interesting question is it's like the French tennis Federation are doing this but we were speaking about fornini earlier would the Italian tennis Federation do the same thing probably not but I guess it's just you know it's just that matter of opinion you know from from governing body to governing body in terms of where you you know where you toe that line but um yeah it's it's an interesting. Sort of role, I think, in terms of how active, I guess, you are in terms of that sele- selection criteria for your country.
1: Yeah, it probably depends how many other top players you've got to, to select from. But Very true. I think the Italians could could get rid of Fognini. I mean, they've got Yannick Sinner, they've got um, Berrettini. Like, they don't they don't need to rely on Fognini anymore. But but we'll see. I think it's quite a bold move, but I I respect the fact that they you know um, I respect the fact that they respect players attitudes and whether or not you know that's right for something like the olympics so um fair play to the fft for that one
0: and not just on that actually i know because we we've spoken about i feel like the you know the only times we've spoken about the french tennis federation on the podcast recently is in more like negative circumstances you know going off on their own and you know moving the you know moving roland garros and uh, i sort of actually sort of applaud this sort of decision and as i said i think I think it's right, given you know the Olympics and what it stands for, and you want to make sure your players are you know represent those values. And I think it's quite a smart move. Uh, you know, Benoit Paire might not agree with it. He might not even care, to be honest. You know, there are players out there who don't really care you know about representing their country at the Olympics. They'd rather just get points. Uh, you know, they'd rather just play tennis tournaments and acquire trophies that way. So I, I think it's yeah, I think it's an interesting turning point. I don't know if other Federations might look at this and, and, and do something similar. But, um, yeah, it's certainly a, an interesting development
1: indeed. And, uh, yeah, we also had, uh, well, there's been a, an interesting development in football, hasn't there, Joel, in the last week or so with the European super league, uh, well, being announced and then sort of. I guess, failing because of the uproar from, from all the fans, you know, the six English clubs, they quickly pulled out again after sort of a backlash from fans. Um, But ironically, you know, Gerard Piquet uh, came out with the tweet saying football belongs to the fans today more than ever, (laughs) Um, which I I have to say that, you know, some, some tennis players were not very happy with that tweet because um, as we know, Gerard Piquet is part of the Cosmos group who, Essentially bought out the Davis Cup. Um, and you know, Edouard Roger Vassalan, Nicolas Mahu, they, they've all been like, what about tennis? What about the Davis Cup? You know, um, and it's, yeah, just a bit of a kind of interesting. Debate, uh, because it's like, well, does the same apply to tennis? You know, if you're saying football should belong to the fans, what, what are you doing with tennis then? We talk
0: about, uh you know, I feel like, you know, generally, kind of football and sport in general has been dominated by all this kind of European super league conversation. You know, for listeners who aren't aware, you know, this was this idea that um, twelve really big. European football teams were going to come together and make their own league. It got completely quashed uh within the space of forty-eight hours um because uh of various reasons, but club and clubs kind of just big football clubs just sort of pulled out one by one. Um and the fact that PPA, I think, came out and said, you know, football belongs to the fans, you know, there's certainly some, I think, parallels there between between football and tennis. And I don't I'm I'm sort of like this is a bit double standards because you know if 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 tennis belonged to the fans i don't think you know it would be right to have something like a, a, an investment group come in and and buy out you know the davis cup and sort of you know reformat it rebrand it you know that might be uh, in their eyes it might be they might be doing a, a service to fans but the way that they, i think they've gone about it it's just it just completely smacks of of like hypocrisy really i mean it just feels a bit it just feels like he could have worded it maybe a little bit better or not said anything at all because because the fact that you know he's got contacts out in tennis and football it's going to be naturally people who are going to be across both sports you know like like us like some of these tennis players and yeah then just not particularly happy about it and you can see with their reactions on twitter that maybe all is not well with the davis cup in the sense that you know they feel like it 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 does need to have fans be brought back into it a lot more.
1: Yeah, I feel like the essence of the Davis Cup was kind of lost with this kind of rebranding. And we've only seen, you know, one edition of the Davis Cup finals so far in the new format. And I I enjoyed going along to them. You know, I still enjoy it in its current format. But I think when you get something like a big investment group you know, behind something, it's always a bit like, "Are well, you just doing this for personal profit?" And like, do you really care about like the integrity of the the game itself? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think Gerard Bk responded to Roger Vassalan on Twitter. I'm afraid. <laughs> so, uh, get a bit of a Twitter argument going. Um, but yeah, so lots of interesting points of of you know news on the tennis uh, sort of world this this uh, this week, and one of which, um, quite sad to hear. Really, uh, Dominic Team did an interview. For a standard, which um, is a German-speaking newspaper, about sort of his current situation, really his struggles, um, especially with his mental health, about you know the fact that you know he just after winning the US Open last year, he's just kind of completely had a bit of a turnaround, and and the way he's like looking at at life in general and and his career, and um, just all the sort of burdens of the pandemic and. I guess, how he's approaching the game. It's it's all changed and it's, yeah, it's it's really sad because he's obviously struggling big time.
0: I think he's got out of it. I think I was reading today that, you know, he's back on court and he's feeling in fresh, but he's certainly, I think, gone through a down, you know, a down patch in his career. And, you know, you arguably you probably could put it back to, you know, when he won his, his, his first Grand Slam, you know, at the US Open uh, at the back end of last season, because, uh, you know, it, it, he's one of these players where I feel like we, we know him as, Dominic team, the, the guy who play every single tennis event, uh, under the sun, whether it's a 250, uh, 500 challenger, whatever, he'll just, he'll just play it. ultimate tennis showdown. He'll just play it. But at the moment, you know, he's, he's, um, you know, he's not present on the tour and it's, you know, he's not played a lot of, you know, a lot of tennis in his last match was sort of mid-march in Dubai he lost in the first you know lost in his uh opening match to Lloyd Harris in straight sets so yeah he seems to be going through you know a part of his career where you know it feels like he's in a hole that he needs to get out of and i'm hoping i'm hoping he's close to kind of getting out of it and it sounds like he was in a hole because of the the whole situation and that sort of affecting him mentally. And I think he's had physical issues as well with his mm, knee. But yeah. I just hope that, you know, he's such a great player. And especially on a clay court, it just feels like right now, this is the moment he can really kind of come back with a bang. And at the, at the start of the episode, we are talking about Sissipas. And you're right, he's almost stolen team's thunder at the moment because we should really, if, if Dominic Team was playing like the Dominic Team we know on a clay court, Who's to say, you know, it, it wouldn't have been Dominic team who would have captured Monte Carlo or won, you know, won wherever. But um, it, it certainly feels like he, he's, he's missing the tour at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, he, he did have a physical issue in his knee, which is, you know, I think a large part of not. Playing, but it's also, he probably just needed a bit of a mental, you know, reset. And there's no point, sort of. I think he was basically saying, you know, obviously the tour is very intense. You go week from week and it's all, all systems go. And it's, you know, sometimes you just need a break and, you know, a bit of time at home. And so I think, I think in a way, this could do him the world of good having this kind of break and he might very well be back and back with a bang and come Roland Garros you know who knows he might be back to the team of old you know um, which would be quite worrying for opponents if that is the case uh, but yeah I mean well, we wish him well and uh, it's just interesting I guess to hear his perspective um, and I suppose once you have achieved something that you've been working your whole life towards it can it must be a bit of a well, what do I do now you know after winning that slam so um, yeah yeah really um, interesting kind of perspectives. And yeah, hopefully, I'm sure he'll be back on a court soon and uh, hopefully a bit, you know, feeling it it more, feeling the old himself again. Um, But we also had a really nice story coming out uh, from Carla Suarez Navarro, who um, I think we did report at the time, but she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma about eight months ago. Um, So obviously she hasn't been playing of course she's been having um you know treatment to to overcome it and a chemotherapy and she announced uh this week on on social media that she she's now free um free from cancer her treatment's been successful she's she's got through it um so yeah absolutely fantastic fantastic news um to hear to hear from her she's as she put it she's cured so uh yeah really really positive
0: yeah great great stuff there um i think she's expecting hopefully she's going to play roland garros uh so it'll be great to see her back on the court uh obviously i did i I think just seeing her back on the court is just gonna be great for fans uh you know she's one of my favorites actually sort of growing up so you know it'd be great great to see her back on the court uh i love watching her play i think she's a very 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 solid tennis player um and uh yeah i'm all really really sort of rooting for her but um let's move on to uh the previews uh for the two tournaments this week uh and start with the munich open in germany it's an atp 250 alexander zverev is there as a the top seed Kaspar Ruud is the second seed uh and we've got Karatsev and Kranjevich. Filling up the top four seeds. I mean, Kim, where, where where are your eyes looking at this? I was just looking at the results. Milman versus Popper in the all Aussie first round, that went to John Milman, which sort of surprised me. But I feel like Karatsev is the one to watch here. Maybe a Zverev Karatsev final. I feel like Karatsev is just, you know, with a bye. I think he's just, he's going to have a little bit of time. And I think, you know, I think he could easy quite easily come through that bottom half.
1: Yeah, I, I think Zverev will do decent because I think in Germany on home soil, who tends to do very mm-hmm. well, um, winning, you know, both of those Cologne events last year, for example. Um, also, Caspar Ruud, you know, made the semis in Barcelona. Uh, sorry, in Monte Carlo. So I think, yeah, I think Ruud Karazzov-Zverev, I think the top seeds will do quite well. Um, also, Philip Kohlschreiber is, uh, is in the draw. He's been given a wild card. Oh, I yeah. haven't seen his name on a draw sheet in ages. So I think, well, I mean, he was always a really... He was always kind of, I wouldn't say one of my favourites, but you knew very, on very his, solid. his day he could pull mm. off a massive win. Uh, I remember that Roddick match at the Australian Open. And uh, yeah, it's always one to look out for. So have to see how he... Um... Well, he might have played already actually, uh, since we've been recording this.
0: <laughs> hey, don't worry, he hasn't. I oh, am okay. just looking at the app. Oh, right, worry. okay.
1: I haven't been uh... oh yes, he's playing tomorrow <laughs> against Kupfer. I mean yeah, Kupfer will probably win that one. But anywho, um Eshteril in Portugal, Shapovalov is headlining that one. Uh, Christian Garin is a second seed, Hugo Umbert, Kaina Shikuri, um Davidovich Vakina's there, Ramos Vanola, so whole host of players. Cam Norrie's there as well. Um and Fernando Vadasco. Fernando Vadasco. mentioned. Yeah.
0: Yep. <laughs> Vadasco, um, Ramos, Vanolas. I'm quite interested by that one. I feel like Vadasco could... I mean, Vidasco's such a quality player. Um, I feel like when he is on court, he's always sort of got a chance, even though he's on, you know, unseeded or wherever he is in the rankings. Uh, it's just a very, he just knows how to win a tennis match. Uh, and I know he's very, very handy. So, uh, I'm, I'm sort of rooting, I'm sort of rooting for him. Um, it's quite an open draw. I mean, Shapovalov is taking a wild card. It's not, you know, it'd be interesting to see how he gets on on clay. I feel like Nishikuri has a big chance here to win to win the tournament uh I thought he looked good uh last week um you know he lost obviously lost in a doubt but taking a set off him I feel like this is a really open draw
1: I agree um and Estoril, it's a it's a really nice event I went a few years ago um so yeah i would be trying to catch as much of that as I possibly can <laughs> this week um but yeah I remember actually I think Vadasco had quite a good run at like Madrid a few years ago didn't he did he get to he had some big wins uh so who knows we will have to pull it together again but um I think that brings us to a close uh for this week's catch up Joel uh, but we'll be back uh, next week as always with kind of a roundup of all the news and results from from this week on tour.
0: yes uh listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest catch up from the passing shot if you want to stay up to date on all things in the tennis world make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice Whether that's Apple Podcasts Spotify Overcast Castbox Stitcher wherever you listen to us make sure you hit that subscribe button and if you have been enjoying listening to the show on Apple Podcasts make sure to leave us a rating and comment
1: and you can follow us on social media we're on Twitter Instagram and Facebook at Passing shop Pod uh, so do get in touch give us a like give us a follow um, you can also contact Contact us via email if you prefer. We're on PassingShotPod at gmail.com.
0: And we will be back next week with another Passing Shot catch-up, taking all the action from Stuttgart and Estoril, as well as looking forward to the Madrid Open. So I hope you can join us for that. And we will see you again soon.
1: That Vadasco chat. I should get out my 2009 Australian Open semi-final DVD with the, the you know, the long Vadasco oh, rafa uh, yeah. match. <laughs> I was just
0: literally going to go on YouTube and type in Vadasco banana shot Nadal. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's the thing that he's going to be most remembered for in his career.
1: Yeah, you're you're probably right. To be fair.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?